Even men like Talon Card occasionally make mistakes. This is the Chimera. Launch the attack. Time to go to work. You won't let me get killed, will you? Is that what I was supposed to be doing here? I should have brought my lightsaber. Welcome everybody to episode 12 of Star Wars Bookworms, the show where we discuss and review all the new Star Wars releases from Dark Horse Comics and Delray Books. As always, I am your host, Teresa Delgado, and I am joined by my co-host, Aaron Goins. Hey, Teresa. I heard that you were at Disney World today. Or wait, Disneyland. Yeah, let's get that right. I'm Sorry. at Disneyland, so I am in California. You're in the future home of Star Wars Celebration. Yes, I am. I'm actually right near the convention center where in, what is it? Is it a year and a half or two years? What is it, guys? It's like uh, a year and a half. Yep. But a year and a half, I will be back here for the biggest Star Wars celebration ever, probably. <laughs> and who was that voice that we just heard? Uh, we have a guest today, and we're very happy to have with us for a second time, I believe, Mark Herleman. He is of the Star Wars Report podcast, Star Wars Beyond the Films podcast, and like 20 other podcasts. <laughs> Welcome, Mark. Hey, guys. Yeah, this is my second time back. The... Uh... The duo, I guess, or deuce, deuce. timing. <laughs> deuce time. Back and ready to do it again. You know, I had a lot of fun last time and looking forward to some more fun. Yeah, we're, we're very happy to have you. Um, we are going to be talking about some comics today. So I know you read the comics, so we'll be able to uh, get some good insight, I hope, uh, from you tonight. Well, I hope to be insightful. Yeah. If not witty. <laughs> <laughs> And if Teresa, nothing else, I can always fall back on punny because I am a punny guy. And then you always have Whistler to back you up. There you go. This is true. <laughs> no one's got your back like an astromech. <laughs> <laughs> and Teresa, what, what comics are we reviewing today? Today we're going to be covering the Purge comics and the Agent of the Empire Volume 2 Hard Target. So if you've never listened to our show before, we do need to let you know our spoiler policy. Typically, we wait about a month after a release date to review a book or a comic. That way, people have had time to pick it up and read it. So if we're reviewing it, expect full spoilers. We're not going to leave anything out. And um, so if you haven't read Purge or Agent of the Empire um, Hard Targets, then stop listening now. Go read and then come download the episode. But if you don't ever plan on reading them, go ahead and listen anyways, because then we'll just tell you what the story's about. There you go. Comics for those that don't want to read comics. Exactly. I actually, have, I actually talked to a guy that told me that he listens to our show, and he doesn't care that we spoil because he doesn't plan to read some of these comics. So he just listens to it as a way to catch up on what's going on in the comics. Nice. Well, that's, that's neat. We will be spoiling these comics, like Teresa said. In our, in our last episode, we actually had some feedback. It was the first time that we had actually read the feedback out loud um, on the podcast. We, we re received feedback from different listeners here and there, uh, but we're going to start trying to, to read some of the better feedback that we get um, actually on the show. And I got some feedback from one of our listeners. He goes by the, the name of Shaz Bazaar, and he's actually a good friend of mine. I met him at Fan Days. I believe, Teresa, you met him as well when we were at Fan Days. He's actually a host of another podcast I listen to called Techno Retro Dads. Have you guys ever heard of that? Oh, 
actually I have. Okay. I do listen to Techno Retro Dad. Yeah, so he is a, the host of that with uh, Jedi Schwa, who has been a guest on our show a couple times. And um, I was happy to hear that Shaz Bazaar actually listens to our podcast. Um, he sent us a very lengthy email um, kind of just telling us what he thought about the podcast and had a little bit of feedback about Crucible. And then I replied to him, and then he sent another email back. So I thought the, the email had a lot of good insight into Crucible and some theories. So I thought it would be interesting for us to kind of look at his emails and then maybe talk about how we what we think about his theories about Crucible and also about some of the things he has to say about the future of Star Wars. So I'm going to go ahead and read that, that uh, feedback right now. He says, I got to say, I really dig Crucible. I just listened to your review of the book, and I really enjoyed that too. The monolith is Mortis. It's altered because the ones weren't there to balance it. I had just finished Into the Void before reading Crucible and was intrigued at the completion of the circle present in the two books. The dark side and the light side work together when there is balance, something evident and normal on Mortis. At the conclusion of the book, I thought it might introduce the end of the next Star Wars trilogy. Anakin, Luke, and Leia, or maybe even Ahsoka or Maul, return to Mortis to reestablish the balance. No one else likes this idea, but I thought it was plausible and could be fun. And then he goes on to say very nice things about our show. Um, but I thought he had some pretty interesting theories in that first email, kind of talking about, basically he says he believes that the monolith is Mortis. And I know in the in the book they, they kind of allude to the fact that it wasn't, but he was convinced that it was. What did you think about that, Mark? I know you read Crucible. When me, me and Teresa read it as well, I actually didn't like the book. Teresa did. Where did you fall um, on liking the book, Mark? I liked the book. I wasn't too big a fan of the very end of the book. Um, but the the Mortis monolith being that monolith, I wanted to lean that way. Uh, but Nathan, I think, pretty much got me convinced that wasn't the case. <laughs> but at first, I was like, okay, that, w- that would make sense. And it seemed like a very denning thing to do to tie the two together because he was kind of doing that. Uh, but... I don't know, because I, I was kind of thinking the the Thoyor temple ships were also the same monoliths. But when you actually go back and you look at the episodes of the Clone Wars and look at the comics, they don't quite look the same. So, I mean, I mean, you got the Thoyors have got the Imperial like cog on them, but the other the monolith itself was all pyramid. There was nothing else going on it. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I guess you could say it was Mortis, but it's hard to say for me because I wanted I wanted more books, so I too am expecting you know some resolution with the mortis and the dagger and all that stuff, and it's like for that not to happen, I'm I'm conflicted there with how I want to speculate. <laughs> yeah, I mean I I kind of thought it could have been mortis as well um, until until kind of at the end of the book, Luke basically says that it wasn't, um, but I thought that maybe Denning because was writing it as Mortis, but then at some point somebody kind of higher up came along and said, hey, you know what, we can't make this Mortis, so let's kind of change the direction of it at the end. But I actually replied to Shaz, Shaz Bazaar's first email and kind of said to him, you know, hey, I like your theories, but are you basing them on, you know, because he basically says at the beginning of the email, the monolith is Mortis. And I basically challenged him on that and said, hey, is that something that you're just throwing out as a theory, or do you have some reference that you can point to that that's fact? And he said, no, it's just his theory. He actually got back to me with another email, so I'll read that as well. Um, He says, it's my theory. Everything explicitly stated in Crucible argues for the opposite. 
the thematic element of Mortis in the Clone Wars was that the light side and the dark side are in balance, and the dark concludes the light, and the light chases away the dark. Both are essential for life to exist, or for life itself to exist. In the final chapters of Crucible, this is restated, as well as the description of the inside of the monolith, with the trees being very reminiscent of what we saw on screen in the Clone Wars. Combine this with the ancient Jedi, where light and dark are both embraced, and we discover at the heart of the Force is a continual cycle of balance where neither side can dominate the other. The father was keeping the order sustained in the son and daughter, but when Anakin and Obi-Wan and Ahsoka entered Mortis, the balance was disrupted. With, with no one to guard the balance, Mortis itself had become chaotic and unrestrained. Thus the radical free flow of the Force, demons and all. The true balance of the Force will only come when Anakin becomes the father, reigning over the light and dark. Since the root of Mortis is death, I think this must occur after his demise when he is one with the Force. This could even allow for Obi-Wan and Sidious to return as Anakin's anchors to both the light and the dark, calling on him to keep the balance between the two. And so then he basically admits that he's kind of, uh, <laughs> he says, I'm, I'm free-flowing at this point, but Mortis should not be expected to look as Obi-Wan and Ahsoka described it, since the Anchorites no longer kept it in balance. I think Crucible may be the jump-off point for the next trilogy, considering how much the EU has been reined in since the Disney buyout was announced last year, this may be the way for us to keep continuity and have a brand new storyline. And Mary Jade never needs to be mentioned. And then he says, I like the idea of Star Wars Episode 7, The Sword of the Jedi. What do you think? So, he... Like the title. Yeah. <laughs> so he has, he, he has a lot of good points there. And I know when we talked about um, Crucible, our guest, Gerilyn, who was on, kind of had some of the same points as far as um, the reason why the monolith was in the state that it was in, um, because of the fact that they didn't have balance anymore. So he kind of ha- he kind of had some of the same points. So I, those I, points are sound. I mean, I, I I can see where he's coming from with that. It totally makes sense. Now the aspect of using Anakin with Obi Wan and Sidious as anchors, boy, my brain immediately started seeing some great fan fiction stories with that. I mean, could you imagine like just just how we've got the search for the Mortis dagger? The search for Palpatine's spirit. <laughs> like, well, he's not here on Korriban. Well, let's go back to Andor then. He's got to be here somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> I liked how he uh, tied it in with the Into the Void stuff, you know, or the the Dawn of the Jedi stuff as well um, in his theories. I, I hadn't really thought about tying that in, but I guess kind of like you were saying before, with they, they show those. Uh, Yor, which you know, in a way, kind of look like they might be the same same thing as Mortis. So, see, I totally thought they were, and then when me and Nathan were talking about Crucible, he totally made me pull out the comic, and I'm looking at it, and I'm like, then he showed me a couple links. I'm like, dang, there. I mean, you might be able to say like maybe time sanded away the logo off the Thoyor ships, so maybe the Mortis is one, but I I don't know. I I the EU connect the dots side of me wants to know the story there you know how did mortis come to be how is it like the thoyors but different than the thoyors where are the thoyors when bane shows up on tython i mean you know where'd they go you know i I, there's so much there that i want to know about and on one hand i'm like curse you george for bringing all this in but at the other side i'm like i want to know more give it to me you know i mean that's that's where i get conflicted on this whole aspect of if with the buyout of the EU and all that with, with Disney buying the Star Wars, is the EU going to continue? Are we ever going to get Sword of the Jedi? All that. 
and with that holding the brake on the current EU, as I like to call it, with sort of the Jedi being in that on hold limbo that they haven't really said, but everyone's saying they've said and are saying and, and whatever it is, but it hasn't come out yet. And we're not getting any word and it's driving me up a wall and it throws all my speculations because if they're not going to add to the story, I want the story. And I'm like, how many years do we have to wait after episode seven comes out before they're going to revive the EU? Because like everybody says, when the books stop, these book stories, the stories still exist. Whether they decide to make a whole new expanded universe and continue with that one, this universe is still sitting here waiting for the last of that story to be told. Find out what happened with the dagger. Find out what's going on with Ableth. I mean, all that kind of stuff. There is no resolution here, and I'm really upset in the case if Delray is going to take a, a note from Dark Horse Comics and go, well, this is a satisfying conclusion. Let's wrap it up here. Well, do you, what do you guys think about his hope here that they might be using the end of the book series with Crucible as a jumping-off point for the the new movies. I personally think that that's very unlikely. Do you think there's any possibility that they can figure out a way to kind of start the movies where they don't override the books as much as we think they might? I do. I mean, I think it would be a really great place because now we're looking at an area that has been completely unexplored. You're not going to upset a whole bunch of fans by changing things that they've believed in for so long. You know, and you're going to be able to create new characters and things like that. So I think that if they chose to go that route, it would probably be the smartest thing that they could do. And by him bringing up the title being Star Wars Episode Seven: The Sword of the Jedi, I'm down for that. And I already have a shirt from her universe with the art from Sword of the Jedi. So I've got a shirt for for opening day or midnight show or whatever it is I end up doing. <laughs> What do you think, Mark? Do you think it could be kind of like, because uh, right now with certain characters, if they decide to use someone like a Jaina Solo oh. or something like that in the kind of as the main character of the new trilogy, would it make sense for them to find a thirty-something actor to kind of fit the the current age of Jaina, or are they going to give us kind of like what they did with Clone Wars? Uh, with certain characters, like when they brought in a Barris Ophi and kind of changed her, or, you know, kind of dialed down her age a little bit. Um, do you think we'll get more of a teenage Jaina Solo, which would definitely be harder to kind of fit in with the novels as we know them? Well, the hopeful side of me here looks at the early statements we got from Disney about how when they first found out about the Holocron, how excited they were to have all these characters, all these stories at their fingertips. Uh, you know, just, you know, their reaction to the Holocron had me very hopeful. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I hate to sound like somebody who's going to bash on Lucas, but one of the things that always upset me about Star Wars was the maker of Star Wars did not like what I considered Star Wars. You know, to me, it was more than just the films. It's always been more than just the films. The films were great, but then there was nothing else in that in that period of time aside from the books and stuff. And that was where, for me, the the, the bigger story came into it and so you know I, I got more out of that than I ever did just the movies but the movies are what got me there and then to have George kind of be like well I don't really you know that's not my thing I could always understand it but I always knew where he was going with it so it's kind of like okay well you know he's not going to go into this area well now we're in a spot where it's it's wide open you know and so on one hand I'm like Disney's smart enough to see that you got all these books and stuff. One of the biggest sales points about Star Wars and the expanded universe is that it's had the one continuity, even though it's at times knocked one work here, there, the other where. 
but they have the opportunity to do different than Lucas and be like, you know, let it, let's stop and let's take the collective here and, and find ways to make it work. I mean, the big thing with Lucas was, well, we don't want to tie him down with, with all this continuity that we're not going to tell a really good story, but Disney has always been good at telling a good story and also watching their P's and Q's and dotting the T's and the I's and all that fun jazz that goes with it. So I would love to see them take something with Jane and make her 33 and I mean, heck, you could even have Jaina's character and all that stuff be like side plot stuff that's going on in the background of a new set of characters. I mean, you know, you could do a whole plot based off Imperial Knights and and have it set off of them and be in a totally uncharted ground, but at the same time be rooted in something that EU fans have an idea about. And yet casual Star Wars fans, it's all still just as new as if they were making it up from scratch. I mean, there I'm I'm very hopeful. But, you know, when it comes to a corporate side of things and being at a place, I worked at Kodak and it was bought by another company and I watched the transition and they did a whole lot of this, you know, we're going to keep things the status quo, you know, and I could see Disney doing that. Well, we're just going to, we're going to follow the Lucas model and, and continue on in that regard. And I could see them doing that too. I mean, that's the difficult spot about being where we're at now is it's unprecedented. The only thing we've had before was George, but this isn't George doing it now. So we really have no idea what they're going to do. And I mean, yeah, it's easy to complain. Well, Disney ruined star Wars, but the bottom line is whoever owns it owns it. And for fans like me that always were upset with Lucas, not following a change or, or ignoring something about the EU, the same complaint that we had about George is now applied to those that are angry with Disney. It's like, well, it's, it's theirs now they can do whatever they want. I mean, as an EU fan, I was always joking about, well, Lucas could come in tomorrow and make a film about Episode Seven and kill Luke off. What are we going to do then? We're going to have to accept it, right? And, I mean, the same falls there. I mean, it could be Disney doing the same thing, but we have to honor the owner, I guess. I mean, and you got to look at all the different things Disney's done, and I don't know. There's two sides of that camp. Some people don't like what Disney does, and some really do. I happen to be a Disney fan. I mean, I, I haven't been hoodooed enough by Disney to have the chip on my shoulder, but I do know a lot of people that do. So I go back and forth. I'm like, I, I, I want the best out of this because it's, it's my baby. You know, I mean, star Wars is in the hand of someone. It, it's like when you give something away, you know, you're like, take care of this. I love it. You know, you don't want to give it away, but you want the other people to enjoy it and you want to share the love. But at the same time, you're worried. I don't know, man. I go, yeah. I go back and forth. One minute I'm happy. One minute I'm angry. <laughs> I'm bipolar. Well, you know, the thing about Disney is, and I think even people that don't like Disney need to be able to acknowledge is that Disney is a company that is based off of storytelling. Even if you don't like Disney movies, maybe you don't like cartoons or whatever, you can sit there and be able to say that's a good story and that story was presented well. You know, and not every Disney movie is presented is, you know, immaculate in how it was done. But they do know how to do stories. And most importantly, that's what Star Wars is. Star Wars is a story. And, you know, we eat it all up. So I don't see what can possibly go wrong. And, um, you know, it's not like they're going to put Mickey Mouse in the movie. So everybody just chill out. <laughs> if they did slide Mickey Mouse in as a legitimate alien character and made him actually look real like he belonged in the Star Wars universe as an Easter egg, I think that would be pretty epic. <laughs> I don't know if I feel the same I, I, way. It'd be the first time you're like, hidden Mickey, hidden Mickey in your Star Wars. <laughs> no, I was just going to say, I'm not expecting to see a big Disney influence actually in these movies. I think I'm. it's going to be more of a big J.J. Abrams influence. You know, he's a very, you know, he's the type of director that really likes to have a lot of control 
And I think he's really going to shape, you know, what these new movies are going to be and, you know, in look and feel and even in the storytelling. Um, so I'm not expecting to see as much Disney influence as I am to see J.J. Abrams influence. So if, you know, if you're a J.J. Abrams fan, if you like the stuff that he's done, then, you know, prob- you're probably a lot, you know, very optimistic about these movies. And if you're not a fan of stuff that he's done, you're probably very tentative about. I want to speak to the tentative people here because I have heard a lot of people, you know, a lot of complaints I'm hearing with Star Trek Into Darkness is all the, you know, the lines from other movies, other films and stuff like that being brought in just to be brought in. And a lot of people were really irritated about that. And I hear a lot of people going, I don't want to see the same thing with Star Wars. And I'm sitting there going, but have you ever watched the Clone Wars? Like, it. If you don't have five lines from the original movie in an episode, well, you don't have a Clone Wars episode. Like, that that seems to be something synonymous with Star Wars. I think Abrams is going to be a good choice. I, I think the stuff he does will work. I'm a little hesitant in the lens flare department only because there were moments in Into Darkness where it did get a little too much. I'm like, all right, buddy, back it off just a smidge. <laughs> but I think it's going to be okay. I mean, think about some of the shows like like Lost. Like, I didn't get into that one right away. I didn't understand why everyone thought it was good. But by the time I got into it, I love that show. I mean, still to this day, I'm like, what happened in that show? Like, I get to the end, and I'm like, wait, I, wait do I have to watch this again? I still don't. It's like reading Traitor. <laughs> you know, you're like, you get something new each time. And I'm really hoping for something like that. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not a big fan of everything that J.J. Abrams has done. But as far as, like, the, the movies that would probably be the most similar to Star, Star Wars are the Star Trek movies that he's done. I know a lot of people didn't love his Star Trek movies. A lot of people that are big Star Trek fans are the ones that didn't. But the general population really enjoyed them. They've got good reviews, and they made a lot of money. I really liked them. I thought they were well-made, fun, a lot of action. And if he makes Star Wars in that same vein as he made the Star Trek movies, I'll be completely fine. Yeah, plus did he's got an opportunity to make say, up with R2. Did I just say what? <laughs> and did you just what did you just say that Star Wars is going to be like Star Trek? No, I said if he makes them like he made the Star <laughs> Trek movies. <laughs> no, I don't think he will make I don't think he will make Star let's Wars get, like Star Trek at all. I think he made Star Trek like Star here. Wars. And so, yeah, there we go. Let's he made Star Trek straight. like he made like he would want to have made Star Wars movies, and now that he has the opportunity to make Star Wars movies, he's going to take it up a notch, I think, and we'll see even more he's action. Gonna take it up like he's going to take it up like fifty notches, and it's going to be awesome. And I'm I was a fan of the new Star Trek movies. You know, I can honestly say I wasn't really into Star Trek other than Tribbles because they thought they were cute. And then I saw the the new Star Trek movie and then Into Darkness, and I was like, yeah, I'm a Star Trek fan as of now. But to spin this back to the EU, since that's what our podcast is supposed to be about, I think (laughs) we totally got off on an Episode 7 rant there, but I think that they can keep elements from the books. I don't think that they will really fit, you know, well enough that a lot of the books can stay. But I think they are going to use elements, and I would not be surprised at all if we see a character named Jaina Solo. Now, if she's going to be in her 30s or if she's going to be a teenager, I don't know. But it wouldn't surprise me at all. I know there, there's a lot of you know other podcasters out there that I've listened to that are like, oh, you EU fans, if you're expecting to see Jaina Solo, be prepared to be extremely disappointed because there's no way in hell that she's going to be on the, on the next movie. I don't think, think they're. So. I don't think they're right. I think there is a possibility. I'm not saying it's a good possibility, but I think it's at least 50-50. That we could see a character at least named Jaina Solo. I can see it. 
So thank you, Shaz Bazaar, for your email that prompted us to, to go into a complete rabbit trail. But uh, thanks for sending in that email. And if anyone else out there you know, wants to send us an email, continue to do that, and we may read your email on the show. What we're saying here is send us emails. We want to read them. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's move on into our reviews. Um, and our first review that we're going to do is the Star Wars Purge comics. Uh, they collected the... The, I think there was three one-shots and then one two-parter, and they collected them all into a trade paper, paperback. And the first one was released July 10th, so we've given you guys well over a month to read this comic if you haven't read it already. Teresa, could you give us the stats here for part one and go ahead and read us that publisher summary? Okay, so Star Wars Purge, as Aaron said, was released on July 10th, 2013, and part one is called Last Stand of the Jedi. It was written by John Ostrander, and the artist was Doug Wheatley. And our timeline is about a month after Revenge of the Sith. And the publisher's summary is as follows. After Order 66, few Jedi dared to venture outside the shadows. Rumors of the dark and terrible Darth Vader haunting even their waking moments. Yet some Jedi find this life of fear unbearable. Now a small band of Jedi have agreed to meet and discuss what should be done to oppose the Empire and its Sith Lords. However, the Empire is always watching, and Vader himself is eager to confront any Jedi that might bring him closer to the whereabouts of his betrayer, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Prepare for Jedi versus Sith action unlike any seen since the Old Republic in the special one-shot follow-up to Revenge of the Sith. So we have the first part of this. We're going to kind of work through the different... There, there's four different stories that pretty much stand on their own that are all about Darth Vader hunting down Jedi. Uh, so in this first one, we get this story about Darth Vader going after kind of like a who's who of background Jedi from the from Revenge of the <laughs> Sith. <laughs> it was written by John Ostrander, which he is actually, in my opinion, one of the best in the business when it comes to writing Star Wars comics. I know Absolutely. You, yeah, I was going to say, I know, Mark, you're a big comic book reader, so I, I, I think you would agree with me. He yeah, wrote, John and Jan, I call them my dream team, man. You put right. those two on a project, you know it's going to be gold. But if you can't have Jan do your art, I don't think it's too bad to have Doug Wheatley because his, his artwork is some of the best um, in the comics, in my opinion. Yeah, um, no, no, I agree. Did Doug do the cover for this one? No, 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 no. Adam Hughes did the cover for this one, and I have to admit, the cover on this is probably one of my favorite covers of all Star Wars comics. I just love the the detail, the softness of the lines, and yet the crispness of all the colors in the background. Oh, beautiful. And very violent, like the cover. You see a, you know, a Jedi girl laying on the ground with her severed hand and a hole through her chest, which I thought was, I was like, wow, that's pretty violent to put right on the cover. Yeah, You're it like, is. Uh, but- this is going to be one heck of a purge. And she's actually pretty, if you look at her face. Yeah. (laughs) But it sets the tone for the comic. Um, You know, this is a comic about Darth Vader basically coming in and showing who's boss, I guess you could say. The story basically is this: the Jedi are trying to trap him, or at least one of the Jedi uh, was trying to kind of trick him into coming to this meeting of these Jedi uh, by making him think that Obi-Wan Kenobi was going to be there. And like I was saying, it's kind of this who's who of background Jedi from Star Wars uh, Revenge of the Sith. Boltar Swan is there. What are some of the other ones? Raboli Dart, uh, Sayalan Weez, 
Makishalalas, Kofi Arana. Yeah, so these yeah. are like... Jastaris Far, all names I cannot pronounce. Right, but most most Jedi, probably your typical Star Wars fan, even an EU fan, probably wouldn't recognize a lot of these names, but I know Bolter Swan s- sticks out to me because uh, she was a little bit more prominent in the movies. You kind of You could see her up closer. When she died in this comic, it was kind of more of like, oh, wow, I know who she is. Um, did you did you guys like recognize any of these characters, or were they kind of all new to you as you were reading this? Just um, two. They were pretty new new for me, but that's you guys know I I haven't read as much as the EU as you guys have. So, well, Mark, some... which ones stuck out to you as characters that you you know had some sort of an attachment to through either recognizing them from the films or recognize them from other stories? Well, I remember seeing uh, Swan herself from the film, and then uh, Tasui Cho, uh, the one that you see at the beginning jumping around killing all the clones. Right. Perhaps Jedi are not so easy to kill when they know who their enemies are. Uh, that guy, you know, I'd seen them in other comics before. And I want to say that, that Swan and uh, Sade both show up, and I believe they're just like a, a reference character in a couple books. Um, okay. I want to say like, uh, oh doesn't look over my shoulder here like the approaching storm i think one of them was mentioned in and, and something like the septus point or the septus deception i think they were in there just like a brief 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 moment but uh yeah master chow i remember seeing him in a couple other comics and stuff but i i gotta admit though out of all the different purge comics this first one is hands down my favorite i really like the plot uh i like how the characters come together and i love obi-wan or the obi-wan factor that drives vader throughout the kit the comic this whole issue it's just great i mean i got this it's the older version mine's actually in the back of the clone wars volume 9 endgame um and then i've got all the singles so it's like interesting to see that they recollected it in another trade even though it was in a trade already i mean it's it's cool that they do that it's a lot better than when you know you got to go out and buy one trade for that one comic that doesn't go with everything else now you got options (laughs) I thought it was interesting that the look of the Jedi characters was very different from what we'd seen before. Um, you know, we're used to seeing Jedi kind of in Jedi robes, but pretty much all of these characters, with the exception of maybe one or two of them, were not wearing Jedi robes. They were wearing, you know, in some instances wearing some sort of armor or just different outfits. I guess that probably had something to do with the fact that they were in hiding. Well, that's what I was just going to ask. Cause, I mean, only Cho seems to be the one to really be wearing the traditional Jedi garb. But yeah, I mean, I, I would I would have to question if that is the hiding aspect or not. Some of them, like Shade, looks very functional. Like I could see them wearing those outfits just as much, you know, if this was pre-order sixty six as after. But for plot wise, I could see it being that, you know, oh, we're all in hiding, so we're all looking like grifters and spacers and soldiers and so forth. Or like Iron Man. Yes, the <laughs> Kofi Arini or whatever. Kofi Arana, yeah, his outfit is total Iron Man. But it looks yeah. cool. I think I think a lot of the the character designs were very cool, and I liked how they all looked so different because it was easy to you know easier to distinguish you know the individual personalities and in characters. So I thought that was pretty cool. And I love uh, Dark Horse put out the uh, the two packs, and it came with both Darth Swan and Coffee Arana, and it even came with I believe Darth Vader's severed hand and the Sith sword that uh, Shade is using in the comic. Uh, and it came as the accessory. It was kind of cool. I'm like, nice, it came with the Sith dagger. Yeah, actually, a number of these characters have been made into action figures, including uh, Master Choi or Su Choi, however you say his name. 
Um, he was an action figure. Boltar Swan's been an action figure. Kofi Arana's been an action figure. So they all kind of, you know, these are all somewhat notable characters, um, if not, if for nothing else than that they've been all been action figures. Nice. Oh, and I guess it's a Corderous Blade. That's right. Oh, yes. When, uh, when Sade pulls it on it. This is a Corderous Blade. Your lightsaber will be useless for the next few minutes. More than enough time to kill you. And, of course, you know, Vader then reaches out, grabs her in the force, pulls her right up, grabs her by the throat, and breaks her neck. It's like, oh! He, I mean, the violence in here. The, the great thing is, is they use Kenobi's name as a trap for Vader to get him to show up in the thought of, well, we're just going to outnumber him and take him out. And then, of course, you know, you, the reader, you get to watch Vader best all these. And, oh, just classic moments. Yeah, I love Jedi, but, I mean... Just how Vader sort of annihilating everybody is really, really cool. <laughs> well, it's one of those stories that we always, you know, you always heard about the Jedi Purge. So we kind of always imagined what it would have been like for him to hunt down these Jedi. So when they announced this comic years ago, when this comic first came out, you know, I was super excited because I was just like, wow, this is like, this is kind of maybe what we wanted the third movie to be about, you know, maybe skip that first movie when he's a pod racer. And kind of fast forward a little bit, so I think this. Hey was, now. I'm just saying. I mean, I like I like the Phantom Menace too, but I'm just saying. I think when we were kind of building up our our imaginations to what the prequels were going to be about, I think this was more what I was expecting. You know, kind of seeing Vader in action. So um, it's kind of cool that we get it in the comics because we never really got that in the movies. You know, I would like to see Vader actually have kept that blade and used it against more Jedi. I mean, once he took it out of Sade's hand and started using it on the Jedi, you're just like, oh, way to go. Like, <laughs> way to give him the one weapon that's going to make all your weapons just neutralized. And then, of course, you know, they cut his arm off. And the last thing I would expect Vader to do, I underestimate you, my masters. You have proven yourselves to be greater adversaries than I anticipated. I am at your mercy. I surrender. And that was a crazy moment because, you know, the two characters in that two-pack sit there and start arguing over what they're going to do with him. And Koff uh, ends up uh, lighting up the lightsaber into Boltar Swan's chest and killing her to take the weapon. And, I mean, he goes, uh, whatever weapon I need to kill the Sith, I will take, Boltar Swan. And then he ignites the blade and kills her. And then he's like, now I will avenge her, her and all the other Jedi who died. It's just, you know, and then, of course, Vader picks up the hand that was been severed that's still holding the quarter's braid blade and launches it into his chest i mean the the aspects of vader for this that was the most exciting and i remember after this came out that's when they started doing the whole darth vader and the lost command the, the darth vader and series and stuff and i was really looking forward to more of this kind of stories when that was going on because this was some really fun vader action yeah definitely yeah so let's go ahead and wrap up this one because i want to be able to get to through the other ones as well but um just kind of overall thoughts on uh, where does this story stand in the four different stories that you, you read? You know, where does this one stand for you guys? How much did you like it? I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, like I said, it's my favorite of all the Purge comics. Um, this one would be my top tier. Uh, you know, there's a couple other ones in here that are fun. Uh, I'm trying to think which one. If it's Seconds to Die, I like more than uh, Darth Vader and the Hidden Blade. One of those two I didn't care for as much. We'll get to that as we go. But, yeah, this one was definitely the, uh, the top tier. Yeah, I'd have to agree with Mark. I really liked this one. I liked how, um, I actually liked how violent it was. It's sort of weird for me to say. You sicko. But I, I know. <laughs> but I just, I really like Vader in it. And I like it when Vader is menacing and he's scary. You know, where you're just sort of like, oh, I don't want to piss him off. And um, 
because sometimes I feel like Vader gets downplayed a little bit to where he's not as scary, and uh, they brought him back. I don't think anyone does it better than the comics that to portray the Vader that we all kind of imagined. Well, and it also it, it went to the relationship between Anakin and Kenobi. I mean, Vader is so obsessed with Kenobi, and that I mean, Palpatine at the end is like, you need to let it go. I love that aspect of the character. I mean, you know, I mean, think about it. The guy, Kenobi, leaves you chopped up. You've got, like, a robotic arm that's left, and the rest is all waiting to be replaced. And now you're, you're looking for him. He went into hiding. All you hear is rumors. I mean, like, I totally envision that being the driving force of Vader for a long time. And granted, they did a pretty good job of bringing it, not stretching it out too far to past the point of credibility, but... I don't know. At this point, it made total sense. You know, I mean, he is completely obsessed. You even dropped the name uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi, and Vader is there, and I love that. Yeah, and I have to agree with you guys. This one was one of my favorites as well. Um, but let's go ahead and move on to the next one. I'm going to let Mark do this one because Mark likes to read these things too. So, okay. Mark, you do the part two. Give us the stats and read the publisher summary. All right. Part two is Seconds to Die. A, a good cover, I might say. Uh, it's written by John Ostrander. The artist is Jim Hall. The timeline is 19 years before the Battle of Yavin. The publisher's summary is, After Order 66, the Jedi Purge, led by the dark and fearsome Sith Lord Darth Vader, most of the remaining Jedi are in hiding to survive, but not all. Shai Kun, niece of the esteemed Plo Kloon, has narrowly escaped the attack on the Jedi Temple and has been left full of questions about the dark side. Shakun will not hide. She will find another way to continue being a Jedi, one that will place her directly in the path of Darth Vader and the Emperor. I thought it was kind of interesting that in the, the beginning of the last comic, it told us that it, it happened one month after Revenge of the Sith, very specific time. This one, it just gives us a year. It says 19 years before the Battle of Yavin, so I guess we can assume that this happens after the first one, but we don't really have that specifically told to us. This one's interesting because it's more about one character, you know, one Jedi that he ends up purging, um, as opposed to a group of Jedi. And that Jedi actually happens to be related to Plo Koon. Um, and I do remember her from, she was in some other comics, I believe. Do you remember, Mark, if she she was in some earlier comics? I want to say that she was mentioned at least if she didn't show up as a Padawan. Um, and it might have been an Axe of War. Uh but yeah, or, or one of the Republic lines. I remember, yeah, she she did pop up once. Um, Which the Jedi, the, okay, yeah, I think you're right. I think it was Acts of War. They, they didn't show her very much, but I think there was a scene that she was in. Yeah, I think she was just like a background character, and it was mentioned that she also was a Jedi. Like, I want to say it was like a Plo Koon family moment of some sort. Plo Koon? You have a hard time saying that name, don't you? I do. I've always said him wrong. I've I heard... always put an L in there. I've, I give him two L's. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I've heard it in other podcasts when you say Plo Kloon, and I'm like, <laughs> I always I always laugh to myself. You know, and I always tell my wife, I'm like, you know, I should start a uh, Star Wars Beyond the Films drinking game with every little fubble I have, you know. Oh, it's time for another shot. <laughs> 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 I, I blame Lando, you know. I mean, it was it was Han, and then Han, and then Han again, and I'm like, I don't know. And then all of a sudden, Leia's later, I'm like, wait, what's going on? Lando, what am I doing? All right, so this one is kind of, this story is kind of strange because it kind of hops around a little bit. Like it shows us uh, kind of she's remembering stuff that happened or remembering things that, you know, happened that haven't happened yet. I don't know. It's kind of a weird time jump. 
that to me was kind of distracting. Did you? What did you guys think about that that method of storytelling? Well, it was kind of hard for me to follow too because you know, I guess Plo Koon and her sort of look a lot alike. There's yeah. not there's not a whole lot of distinction being made there, and so I had to concentrate really hard to try to figure out if it was a memory scene and it was Plo Koon I was seeing or if it was her and I was kind of, it was a little bit difficult, but I read it a couple times. What about you, Mark? What did you think about I, that? You know, I, I liked it. I mean, granted, yeah, there are moments where you kind of think she's Plo Koon, but they do give her chest enough definition that you know it's not. Uh, but I don't know. I, I like the aspect of Palpatine kind of, you know, luring her in and, and or her actually approaching him and saying she wants to become his apprentice. But I don't know. By the time they get to the end and they do that whole this is not now, this is now, and you see her, you know, the, the this is now is when Vader's stabbing her. And then it goes into this flash where it goes into the future and she's able to see, you know, Luke, the order. You see Kip, uh, not Kip, but you see Saba, Mara, Luke. Uh, you got Kyle. Uh, you've got Coran Horn, Seagal. You see Palpatine dying at Vader's hands. I mean, all this stuff that she sees flash through her eyes. I thought that was a really cool moment. Um, this was the other one that I, I liked. To, I, I did enjoy this one quite a bit. I, I liked the story. By the time it got to the end, I found it was a really cool one. I've been waiting for you know more of these stories where Jedi were kind of conscribed to be dark Jedi in a sense, and this is one of the first ones where we see that. You know, I kind of always thought Ahsoka was going to end up that route. Like, what a clever way to uh, keep the character around to make her a dark Jedi that Vader gets to boss around later. Yeah, I mean, for me, that was actually the highlight of this comic was the part where they kind of show the future and they show some of these characters from the New Jedi Order, which is very unique, you know, to see some of these characters in the comics. Um, So I thought that was cool. I thought the rest of the story, though, to me, just was kind of... I mean, there's really not much to it. She basically you know, tries to to become Palpatine's apprentice so she can get to Vader, I guess, and then, you know, basically loses to Vader. And it's pretty pretty simple story. Um, that was a cool scene because, like, it, they give you a moment where it talks from her point of view. She goes, time passes in the underlevels. It erodes me. But eventually, I know what I must do and become. And a hollow shows up to Palpatine. He's like, huh? Who are you? How did you get these access codes? My name is Shai Kun. I am one of the defeated. Who knows one who knows who defeated us, Sith Lord. Impressive, he says. And then she goes, I have studied, my lord. My last assignment was to find you. To do so, I explored much that was known of Sith lore. And what do you know? That the dark side is stronger than the light. With the destruction of the Jedi, I can see who holds the power in the galaxy. The Jedi were wrong. The Sith were right and triumphant. And what is it you want, little Jedi? To serve, to learn, to become your apprentice master. I, I just, I don't know. I found that, that, you know, at that moment you're like, is she really doing it? Or is she like the Jedi in the last comic just seeking to strike back at the Sith? You kind of like, you don't know which way to go. And that was an impressive moment for me. It's like, I just don't know what to, which side to lead on here. Well, I think that it, the indication to me was that she was kind of doing it to almost trick them so she can get close to, to Vader and kill him, but uh, because in the end, when she does end up dying, and Vader says that she was at peace when she died, you know, I think if she had fallen to the dark side, um, and actually intended to join 
the Emperor that she wouldn't have died in peace and she wouldn't have had those visions of the future um, the way that she did. Good point. Good point. Because, yeah, the last thing Vader says to her is, my mission is complete. You are the last of the Jedi. And then, of course, you know, she goes, is that true? Am I the last? All that remains of the Jedi? I must do this. If not, who will? Who can? And then, of course, you know, it talks about this is not that moment. All time is one. This is not that moment. And then she sees through the the vision. And I thought that was, yeah, far away, that was the, the, the best moment of the entire comic. I like those prophetic moments when the comics were, you know, they don't have to give you the dialogue. They just give you the picture. And you can just apply so much of what you know from the books and other things. Be like, yeah, and then she figured it out. And, and yeah, she dies at peace. It makes sense. But I, what did you guys think about the artwork? I actually wasn't a big fan of it. I thought it was a little too cartoony and a big step down from from the last comic. Yeah, cartoony is a good way to put it. I, I liked the cover, but I was not a fan of the art style on the inside. Way too cartoony. Yep. No, I agree. I like the, um, the one before this a lot better. All right. Well, for me, this one this one definitely wasn't as good as the first one, in my opinion. And, in fact... I wouldn't say this is my least favorite. That one's coming up, but this would be my second least, second most least favorite. Um, where did it fall on you guys, your guys' list? It wasn't my least favorite. I'll say that, but I'm not really sure. Okay. You don't have to give it a specific ranking, but uh, yeah, so it wasn't your least favorite, but you didn't love it. Well, I right. would say it's above the Hidden Blade. Uh, uh, I don't know. I, I I like Tyrant's Fist, but I think I'm going to put it above Tyrant's Fist. Uh, yeah, I think I'm going to call this my second favorite of them. All right, well, let's move on to the Hidden Blade Part 3. Um, Teresa, how about you give us the stats for that one? Part 3, The Hidden Blade, was written by Hayden Blackman, and the artist is Chris... Is it Scalf or Scafe? I think it's Scalf. And the timeline is, again, 19 years before the Battle of Yavin, so we don't get an exact timeline. The publisher's summary is as follows. On a remote world, Darth Vader chafes at the assignment given to him by the Emperor, guarding an Imperial manufacturing facility from the anti-Imperial natives. Vader feels the duty is beneath him until he learns that the Jedi Master and his Padawan are in league with the natives. Now the game is afoot, and Vader is on the trail of his favorite prey. No ambush, no local monstrous lizards will deter him in his pursuit. Woe be to the Jedi when Vader, when Vader catches up with him. This issue follows events in Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith. All right, so with this one we get uh, some familiar writers and artists. like uh, Hayden Blackman obviously is familiar from, he's done a number of Star Wars comics, and he's pretty well known and pretty well liked. Um, and then the artist, Chris Scalf, we've actually reviewed the, the, the Boba Fett comics that he, that he actually did the art for. Um, recently, so he's one of those artists that's kind of, you know, if you're into that style, you know, he does more of a, I don't know how you would describe it. They're almost like paintings and not mm-hmm. really hand-drawn. Yeah, so um, I actually like his art style to an extent, but I don't like it enough that I would want all my comics to be like that, but I kind of like it here and there kind of sprinkled in as something different. Um, you can tell he puts a lot of time into the the different art throughout the comic. Are you guys fans oh. of his uh, his style? I actually am, but that's just because I'm a I'm a big fan of art, um, and I like the texture of it because you can almost 
feels like you can sort of touch it and if it was a painting you'd be able to feel those ridges and those kind of things um and I like that about it it gives it this sort of emotion that I don't get from some of the other art uh, I go back and forth I mean there, there are moments where I like the faraway scenes and stuff like that but up close when it gets to the up close parts the details and stuff I'm not a fan um I'm not big on the smoky styles uh the darks you know I I, I like to see i like to interpret things going on in the background uh this one this hands down for me was is the one out of all the purges i did not like you know of all i still like the end it, it's got a good impact at the end but that was it for me i mean everything else i was kind of like yeah i this is one i could just toss this issue off to the side but i like the end uh and and the message or the lesson learned by vader uh about you know not hunting down Jedi because sometimes it's a trap. Right. Yeah, I liked the setup of the story. Um, I liked how they kind of, you know, foreshadowed or kind of gave you some hints as to what was going to happen with that that giant monster and that it was being attracted by that, whatever that beacon was. Um, And then, you know, they kind of used that device in the end to basically, you know, have the Jedi, although he died, still kind of defeat Vader you know, by using that creature to destroy the, the factory. Yeah, the Jedi was just a distraction to keep Vader away while the creature actually got through with doing it all. Of course, and the best part is the chastisation that Vader gets by Palpatine when he returns. Like, I, And for me, that was that was the best part of the whole thing, was that moment of Crow when his master shows up. And Vader, like, all he does, he looks over, and, and Palpatine is standing there, Vader's all, Master, Palpatine turns around and starts walking back towards the ship, then turns around again, points at him, meditate on your failure here, and gets in and leaves and leaves Vader there. I'm like, that to me was the best part of the whole comic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, um, and like, kind of like the last one, there's not like a whole lot to the story, you know, it's just one issue. You know, it's pretty straightforward. He finds the Padawan, you know, realizes that there's more than one Jedi finds the master and then you know he kills the master but then the master still has kind of the last the last hurrah with the uh you know sending the giant creature with the beacon on to to destroy the ATAT factory what did you guys think about the story overall um were you guys fans of this one it doesn't sound like you were as much mark how about you teresa did you like this one um as far as the story goes not really not really um it was a little bit too simple for me but i did like the art so yeah i enjoyed the art um i think the the story was i actually liked the end i liked the twist i kind of like because it kind of for me i was kind of disappointed at the end until i realized what really happened and i was like oh that's kind of cool i wasn't expecting that and anytime a a story can surprise me then i you know i'll kind of give it a pass so i did like this one um, it's probably my second favorite, I would say, of the four. But, um, yeah, I think I liked it a little bit more than you guys did, though, as far as the story goes. So mm-hmm. let's let's go ahead and move on to part four, The Tyrant's Fist. And uh, we'll let Mark go ahead and read this one, or read the, uh, the stats for us on this one. Part four, The Tyrant's Fist. Writer is Alexander Freed. Artists are Marco Castello and Andrea Chila. The timeline is a few months after Revenge of the Sith. The publisher summary. Shortly after the birth of the Empire, Vader, master of combat, terror of his enemies, continues his purge of the Jedi Knights on a planet where his Jedi prey are revered. 
Amidst a planet-wide insurgency, the Dark Lord must snuff out one surviving Jedi, as well as kill the fire of rebellion in the native populace. All will bow to the power of Vader in the Galactic Empire. All right, so this is the last story in the in the Purge comics. This one's actually written by Alexander Freed, who we have actually interviewed on our show. Um, but I'm sadly, <laughs> I'm actually kind of hoping he does, he's not listening to this episode because I did not like this comic that much. Um, really? The last part. Really? I know there, yeah, this was probably my least favorite of all of them. Um, I found this one was the most poignant in the aspect of, you know, when we get to the final of the two, how they did the erasing the Jedi from, uh, you know, the public eye. I thought that was something I'd been waiting to see and only felt like Karen Travis was the only one that kind of even touched that. <laughs> okay. Well, we can talk about it a little bit. Um, the one thing I didn't really like, uh, first of all, was the character of uh, the Jedi character, like the character design. Is that an alien species that is already established in the Star Wars expanded universe? Or is that a new species that's only in this comic? Cause it... I thought it was an old one, but this guy has no mouth. <laughs> the species that I thought of, I thought he was like the the uh, like the Corps de Joux or something like that, where there was another species like them that were blue with blue fur and had four arms. But yeah, his face and head is all wrong. So it's got to be a new species. You don't need a mouth when you have four arms. But he talks, just... right? Yeah, he does Oh, yes, talk. he talks. So I don't know. I didn't get the design. I didn't get the no mouth. I didn't know if maybe he was wearing some sort of a mask. But they, if you look really closely, there's no indication that there's a mask. Um, well, so, no, yeah. there, there really is. In, in some of the scenes, uh, it does look like he's got like a breathing apparatus on the side. But of it's his... on the sides. But from like yeah. where, you know what I'm saying? Like maybe that's where his voice is coming out of. Maybe it's coming out the sides. Maybe but... he's like an Athorian. <laughs> right, yeah. So it just... The design for me just didn't work. It just looked too too different. It didn't look like a Jedi, like the the type of uh, clothes he was wearing. You know, he just didn't look like your typical Jedi. And I don't know. It just was too foreign for me to to associate associate him with the with the Jedi. He's see, they, see, my local my local comic book store is Iguana Comics. That's their logo. So when I got to the scene where the next Jedi shows up and it's an Iguana Jedi, I freaked out i'm like dude did you see this jeff the owner of the story he's like what i'm like there's an iguana jedi in star wars <laughs> i i thought that was a cool scene vader doing the torturing and you know uh, messing with the hearts because he's got two different hearts and uh completely messing with the poor guy torturing him and stuff i i don't know i like the character okay i i like the artwork i thought the artwork was really cool uh so that was kind of the saving grace for me for this comic but just the story in the characters, I just I had no attachment to them. It just wasn't it just wasn't working for me, personally. In fact, like so much so that I kind of you know this was one that like I read through it and then I really had no interest in going back and reading it again to the point <laughs> where I don't even really remember like kind of what the what the story was all about. Like nothing stuck with me. See, I remember being feeling like two stories because the second story, you know, you really kind of pick up where. Uh, Oni uh, Namada, the major, the female major in the first one, like, you know, he, Vader calls her at the end of it, and then the second one kind of picks up and it becomes more her story, um, you know, but I don't know, I just, I really enjoyed her character and how it, by the time you get to the end, you know, they, they do the old uh, purging of what the Jedi were, they kind of 
she wears the stormtrooper armor and they make the Jedi a complete embarrassment. They made him look drunk even, I believe is what, what they do to him. I don't know. I just thought it was clever use of spin, which to me falls classic into the Empire. I mean, you know, you, you think about the Bantam era stuff and it was always, you know, what the rebellion was saying was always being spun by the Empire into this, that, and the other thing. You know, the Death Star wasn't a, a striking blow against the Empire. It was the mass murder of all these millions of Imperials and all these Imperial loyalists, you know, and, and seeing the aspect of how they took the events and spun it to work against the Jedi and against the myth of the Jedi, I just, I found that fascinating. That's actually something I really like too, Mark. Um, you know, I actually did like this one a lot. And um, it could be just because I, I really like the story development and the character development. Um, and Aaron, like, I didn't find the characters to be as foreign uh, as you did, but I did like it. And the other thing is, is I really like the way they make Vader look in this one. So, did you like the uh, imperial officer character, the the female? Yeah, I did actually. Um, she she captivated me at points, and then at other points, um, she kind of fell flat. So she wasn't as dynamic as I would have liked for her to be, but I still liked her. It was interesting though how you know when Vader gets him down there, and they got all the. Uh... The toxins of the guy, he's like, in your mind and body will decay. You know, and the guy comes out and he's poisoned and he asks for help. He's like, it's not safe. Is there a safe house? And the guy's like, I don't think. And he's like, you're a blasted mess. And she shoots him and comes up and she's like, can you identify your assailant? He's like, no, he's just a drunk or a thug, I suppose. You know, and so when she's done, she walks back and she calls into Vader. And she's like, you know, he reports the Jedi's dead. There must have been two dozen witnesses, but they won't admit it. But they know exactly who they were seeing. Their hero was humiliated. They look on him with embarrassment. No new stories, no urban legends. The Jedi's, the Jedi's days are done here. And I, I mean, that for me, that, that's, I don't know, that's something that I've been wanting to see. And, and I think, you know, it'd be kind of cool if they do more little stories like that that didn't even necessarily have to have Vader in there, but more with the Empire going out of their way to discredit those that once were supporters of the Jedi or the Jedi themselves. Like, I don't know, it just makes sense because, you know, Think about I Jedi and you know and Cran Horns uh, down in the museum, you know, and all the anti Jedi stuff that's around. You know, you get this feeling that there's supposed to be this anti Jedi ness, but aside from the the moments in Episode Three, it's like when did the rest of the galaxy catch that moment? And you know, here's one of those little stories. Right. Mm. And then, okay, so can one of you guys maybe explain to me what the end like couple panels was supposed to mean? Where they show the little girl finding whatever that is. It just looks like a rock to me. Um, was there supposed to be any kind of significance to that scene? I'm assuming there was, and I just missed it. Yeah, I missed it too. That one that one went over my head. I still, to this day, don't... Like, I've gone back and, like, is there something that fell off of him or something? Like, <laughs> yeah, they, they never actually say... It looks like she's just picking up a rock, but she walks off, like... That rock has importance, but yeah, I'm like, uh, what? Teresa, did you get it? Um, no, actually. <laughs> maybe if we have Alexander on again, maybe, maybe That's he can explain it to us. That's a good question for him. <laughs> yeah, because I was completely lost. And I think that there was a lot about this. I think, you know, the character design for the one character didn't work for me. And then the fact that the Jedi, you know, they were discrediting the Jedi probably just left a bad taste in my mouth because I'm such a big fan of the Jedi. 
And so it was kind of maybe just like, I was just like, oh, this this really sucks. You know, there was no, like, uplifting moment for me to, yeah. to, to grab onto. And then this end scene was confusing. So I think by the end of it, I was just kind of like, okay, I didn't get this story. And that's why, for me, it was my least favorite of these four. Um, there were elements about it I did like, but overall, I just it just didn't work for me. Overall, it sounds like you guys, you know, liked it much better than I did. Was it like your favorite, or was this, you know, where did this fall when it comes to the other stories in this comic? Um, for me, I would say that I like these better than um, probably better than the third story. But I liked one and two a lot, so I'm not, I don't know. I think one was my favorite, and then it's going to be a fight between two and four, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I'm in the similar. I like the art on this. I put this one below the second one only because I really felt like two issues was kind of drug out. I don't know, I felt like there were two separate stories going on, even though it was one connected story, which left me to feel like, you know, they could have really condensed quite a bit of this and got the same story all done in one issue. So I, I, I put it down as my third fave. Uh, but, you know, again, I get back to that. I really like the aspect of, of seeing the Jedi getting discredited and, and giving kind of more truth to the Empire that we see in the uh, New Republic era. So do you guys want to see more of these Purge comics, or do you feel like they've done enough? Have you seen enough of Vader hunting down the Jedi? I feel like there's probably more stories that they could tell, but at the same time, you know, you may start having to reach, you know, and things would get even a little bit more weird. So, Aaron, like, you may not like them because the characters they bring in are even more off the wall. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it does seem like they're kind of reaching, like, you know, they the first one was like a group of Jedi that were kind of somewhat familiar and then, you know, the next one was about Plo Koon's niece or whatever she, I guess she was his niece. You know, so there was some fami familiarity there. But then as it kind of went further along the third and fourth stories, it was kind of like, okay, I've never even heard of these Jedi. And, you know, we end up with this completely alien Jedi. So, Well, yeah. I mean, look at Dark Times of Spark Remains. I mean, in a sense, that could be a Purge story. I mean, you know, it kind of is following the same premise there. You know, Vader's chasing Daz Jenner. Right. Uh, for me, I, I think I would love to see more Purge stories, but I would not want to see any Purge stories set after Purge the Tyrant's Fist in the timeline. I think it did a good job of kind of end capping it. Uh, but if you put stuff closer to the first Purge, while it's still kind of closer to Order 66, while having so many Jedi out and about and still surviving kind of makes more sense, I, I could get behind that. But I think by putting it out farther than, than Order 66, the farther away from it you get, the harder it is to to have that many Jedi out there and have it be so believable. It's like, well, how did these 40 Jedi manage to stay hidden for so long? But now if you had the same 40 Jedi and it's set right after the first purge, that would make a little more sense, you know, because Vader knows there's these groups out there and he's out there mopping them up. That aspect, I would love to see more of it. Uh, but I, I really think they need to keep it closer to episode three, closer to order 66, closer to wall. All the Jedi were, you know, uh, ambushed. I mean, think about the fact, too, that, you know, you got the agriculture corpse, uh, the other pillars that were there in the temple that had other kids that were, you know, not quite Jedi, but they were still part of the temple, still working for the Jedi. They still were using the Force. They just weren't knights. Uh, you know, you have that whole aspect of things, too, out there that he's, you know, going out and kill. I believe uh, the rise and fall of Darth Vader uh, or, or Dark Lord uh, talked about some of that with some of the Jedi there that, that not all of them were knights as well. Uh, but 
that I think I think the timing of this and the setting is where you're going to either make or break the purge story. I would love to see more though. I I didn't I didn't if you if you look at this trade as all you're going to get of the purge of the great purge with Darth Vader, I don't think it's enough. Uh, but I take solace in the fact that I know other stories are out there, even though they aren't told yet. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, there's you know, even though these are it, I know there's more purges out there. There's definitely plenty of Jedi that are kind of unaccounted for that we don't know how they ended up dying. So I think one cool one would be if they ever told us how uh, Quinlan Voss met his end because he kind of just, you know, went off into the, you know, wherever he ended up going and we never really find out what happens to him beyond that. Yeah. They they could give us one more really big epic purge story maybe with, uh, with how Vader hunts down Quinlan Voss. Yeah. I, I'm with you on that, especially if they got John to come in and uh, do some little art by Jan, get my dream team in on that with some Quinlan Voss. You can't yeah. go wrong. He's one of those characters that, like, he was so prominent in the Republic comics, and then, you know, they even brought him into the Clone Wars. But he's he's one of those characters that, you know, we kind of just abruptly didn't, we just didn't find out how he ended. And kind of like what's going on with Ahsoka now, I think there's, there's always going to be fans out there that are wondering how these Jedi, you know, how did they, why aren't they around when the new movies, you know, when the, when episode four comes out. So, yeah, heck, I'm still wanting to know when Kakruk shows back up in the Luke's order. I know it happens after the new Jedi order, but he's not in any books yet. Come on, Krukuk. <laughs> All right. So <laughs> let's move on to the, uh, our next review here, which is the agent of the empire volume two. Um, before we jump into the review itself, though, uh, since this is Volume 2, I'm curious, have you guys read the, the first volume? Are you guys fans of this yep. series um, leading up to this comic? Mm, I didn't read the one before this, and uh, I only read, like, the first two episodes of this one, and I'm, I got bored. <laughs> okay, so you're leaving it to me and Mark to do a full review of this one. Hey! I'm going to talk. I can talk. I have no problem. With talk. I have it all right in front of me, so it's not like I can't look at it. You can read it as yeah. we review it. That'll be good. I know. I that's speak. Where... <laughs> I speak. I see. I, okay, I'm not a huge fan of James Bond. Yeah, I, I, don't, I agree. I, I don't know why. I agree, yeah. it, some, something about it bores me, uh, but yet I am a, a Bourne fan. I like the Bourne movies, and I uh, just watched the uh, Bourne Supremacy with another Agent Cross, so I thought that was kind of cool that they did that, uh, even though Aaron Cross and John Cross or Johan Cross or however you're going to call them, uh, you know, they're not exactly the same, but I like the character. I like the concept of the character. I like how it plays out, but overall, I'm just not that big a fan of this style of an Imperial story. I've got hopes for where the character is going to go because i really think that the character in this case is where the long story is going to be that that i don't know i i'm optimistic with a lot of my stuff i really hope that they have plans for more of this series and they're planning on doing something with the character because if they do the character could be a lot of fun especially if you're looking at it in the born light i mean you know think of jason born not aaron cross in that regard and what they did with that character i mean I'm looking forward to see if he's ever going to work for the Rebels or if he's going to stick with the Empire. I mean, I, I just, I, I'm curious to see where his end loyalties will wind up. Okay, so let me go ahead and I'm going to do the, uh, the stats for this one because I've never done these before and I want to try it out. So this Yay. is this is Agent of the Empire Volume 2 Hard Targets. The writer is John Ostrander, which uh, seems like, a theme in this episode. A lot of the comics that we've been reviewing today have been written by John Ostrander. Uh, artist 
David Fabry. Timeline, three years before No Hope. And the publisher summary is, when the current Count Dooku is assassinated and Boba Fett is framed for the deed, the Count's young heir becomes a political pawn. Agent Cross has his orders, but when the boy's fate is left to a murderous uncle, an angry bounty hunter, and two lethal ladies, Cross changes his mission. Alright, so this is the second volume of of Age of the Empire, and Mark, you were kind of talking about how you felt about the series overall. I kind of agree with you. I'm not a big fan of James Bond. I never really got into the movies. The newer movies with Daniel Craig, I, I do enjoy, but overall, I've never been a big fan of just, like, the whole secret agent, you know, type of stories. Um, so when I kind of heard that this comic was, you know, a James Bond in Star Wars, I was like, eh, not really interested. And I don't think I ever would have read this series at all if it wasn't for the fact that we were going to do a review for it. Yeah. I was pleasantly surprised because I actually enjoy these stories um, way more than I thought I would. Um, but it definitely is a complete ripoff of James Bond. I mean, it's it's almost like they took James Bond and put him into Star Wars. It's not even like... It's not even like they're referring to James Bond or trying to get the James Bond vibe. It's like James Bond is in Star Wars. What did you guys think? Like, did you get that feel like it was too close? Well, I like James Bond. So, um, and I like the James Bond movies and things like that. And actually, my husband loves James Bond. So I've come to learn to appreciate it. So it didn't really bother me. Did you, but did you feel like maybe they're, like for me it was like, it was too close to what James Bond is. Did you think it was like almost too much of a ripoff or did you actually like that? I don't really have an opinion on that. I guess that's because like, like I said, I only read like, I think it was the first two issues and I read part of the third one, but I did get bored with the story. So that probably says enough right there that maybe it is too close to James Bond. It's almost like I had heard it all before. You yeah. know, so I mean, like one of the scenes where he's like talking to Leia and I guess Winter, which was kind of a cool cameo. Um, mm-hmm. But it was kind of mm-hmm. it was kind of awkward. I thought like they had a like big crush on him and all that stuff. Oh, I, I love that scene because it plays into that aspect of the two of them looking so much alike. You know, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I thought it worked in the regards of being the uh, Bond slash uh, Born character. And I, and I liked how you could see aspects of both Bond and Born. I, I, I want to say when it comes to fighting, he's more Born. When it comes to his fitting in and, and partying and schmoozing, uh, he's very Bond. Um I don't know. The character is what intrigues me the most about this. I mean, the art's good. The story's all right, but the character is a fun ride. I mean, his dad's part of the uh, he was part of the Republic before. I believe he was a senator. Uh, he knows how corrupt politics could be. He's working under uh, Usain Izzard's dad, uh, Imund Izzard, I believe his name was, as part of the Imperial Intelligence. So you know, he's like one of those. You know, from a rebel standpoint, he's like, oh, he's a real bad guy. You know, <laughs> like you do not want to be uh, sleeping with this guy if you are a rebel female agent because he is prying secrets out of you. Like, I don't know. He, he has that sleazy side of him that comes across very prominent. But at the same time, you, you know, you're kind of like the Bond aspect where you're like, I'm supposed to be liking him, right? Like, I, I don't know. Is he good? Is he bad? Is he happy or sad? I don't know. I find the characters fun. I really hope that they plan on doing more with it. It being John Ostrander, though, I have high hopes because John doesn't really toss things out there. He usually has plans on a lot of stuff. 
Yeah, and I was kind of with you on the whole, like, are we supposed to like him or are we not? I mean, the whole thing with the kid, and he's kind of bonding with the kid, and in the end, he, you know, basically saves the kid, but he's the guy that killed the kid's dad, you know? So it's like, yeah, you're like, wait, you know, he's, <laughs> it's kind of like sleazy of him to be, it's like, man, he's like being really nice to this kid and feeling bad for the kid, but he's the one that killed his father, so... So I, I was having a hard time looking at him as a character that, you know, I could really root for because he was a bad guy, essentially. Yeah. Now, when you were first reading it, I, I know I had an issue. I missed that it was all flashback. I mean, you know, it wasn't until yeah. I was rereading it that I caught that, oh, okay, because you get to the end and you're just like, didn't I see this before? <laughs> you know, you're yeah. like, by the time you get to that fifth issue, you totally forgot. And I think that for me is the one issue, and it's not necessarily a bad issue I have. But it's almost like reading this arc is a chore, and I say that because there's a lot of dialogue, and there's a lot of action. Uh, the art is done so well, though, that the action speaks for itself. I mean, there are scenes where, oh, there's one scene where he goes like to this brothel kind of thing. He's jumping outside the brothel. Was that in the first? Like, was that in volume one or volume two? Because I don't remember that at all. I think. Actually, I think it is in volume one now that I'm flipping through okay. trying to find it. Like, yeah, I do there, remember. There are things like that where they really, you know, they push those borders with the character. And then yet there's all these little details in the background. Like if you're paying attention, like, wait, what is that person doing? I do remember in volume one, there was a couple panels where I was like, wow, that's very risque for a Star Wars comic. Um, and the one thing, the one element that, that was in volume one that I'm glad they left out of this volume was the robot sidekick. Uh, because I thought she was like super yeah. creepy because she had, well, I was, I was thinking they were going to do more with her because she got kidnapped in the first one and stuff, you know, what, uh, the, uh, the, the black bald lady, uh, you know, something about her that jumped out with me. If you'll notice that chick wears high heels and sprints. And I mean, I'm not a lady. So Teresa, you're the one that's going to be able to talk to this, but that's an impressive feat. <laughs> I mean, I can barely walk in heels, uh, as is in. And um, let, al let alone run in heels. And I've seen people do it before, and I'm just like, you're crazy. Crazy! And she's jumping they buildings in those feet. things. She is hardcore. Hurt I, that was an impressive feet. character. <laughs> now, if you jump from one building to the other, I mean, is that something like... It, I don't know. Is that impossible in high heels? <laughs> just like, wouldn't the heels just snap? I mean, obviously she's using some material, but... What what's the risk here? Falling on your face or falling backwards? <laughs> did you guys like her well, character? I did like the character. I thought she was pretty strong. Um, there were some moments where you know it was kind of like what's what exactly is her, you know, driving motion here? I mean, she definitely seems to be, you know, doing the best of her job. But it's like, is there is there more like she wants to be like the nanny? You, you get that nanny vibe from her from time to time. Like, you know, like she's kind of raised brawn. The one thing I didn't like about her her character was kind of the, the flirtation with cross and yeah, that was weird. And then like where they just kind of like abruptly kissed out of nowhere. And I was just like, what, what they, <laughs> they didn't, have, there was That's no the like bond moment. Cause there's a yeah. lot of bond movies where I'm like, why is he kissing this girl? out yeah. of nowhere? like, what? <laughs> yeah. And I mean, that's probably what it was. It was just kind of their way of like almost tongue in cheek, you know, like, Hey, this, this guy's James Bond. But it, to me, it was just like kind of weird and, out of place like she seemed a little bit more of a strong female character to not be so quick to fall for this guy that she didn't even know at all 
Well, I mean, they could have gone worse, dressed her a little darker, gave her kind of like a dark woman look, and called her Sithly Galore. <laughs> I mean, at least she didn't have like that oh, classic oh cheese my God. factor. <laughs> <laughs> Sithly Galore. <laughs> no. The, the one thing that, that first struck me when I saw this was the whole Count Dooku aspect, and I thought, like, that was going to be a big turnoff, but I was actually impressed with how they turned it, about how, you know, the nobles had to kind of uh, pretty much wipe each other out to stay in the the uh, Empire's good graces and all that. Like, that was a, that was an interesting twist, it's because kind of I was a... really, I was like, I'm like, okay, now, how is he related to Dooku? It was kind of weird <laughs> that they kept the same name, I thought, like, Count Dooku. Like, to me, that was just confusing. I wish they would have just kind of said, okay, this guy's, you know, the next Count, but, you know, he's Count whatever. But the fact that they still called him Count Dooku, I didn't really, I didn't know if there was maybe some other, you know, story in the EU that they were trying to connect to or they were trying, yeah. there was some kind well, of Well, and there was an opportunity there. there. They could have retconned him and like, not to be confused with Count Dooku back in this time who was named such and such because we're still waiting for that name. It's like, come on, Dooku is, now that we know that Dooku is nothing more than a title, Dooku has no name in the story. Worse, we give him a bunch of names. He's Count Dooku here. And over here, he's Dark Tyrannus. Oh, he's, they know him as a Sith Lord, as Sith Lord Count Dooku. I mean, like, come on. I want, I want, let's, let's give him an actual name. This would have been a prime moment. Just slip a name in there like, oh, yeah, you know, back in this time frame when, when Rye Smith was being Count Dooku. <laughs> you remember him, the Jedi? You know, the one of those Lost 20 ones? <laughs> Well, a couple other things I want to talk about before we wrap it up is just kind of the this whole idea of doing these genre stories within Star Wars. Kind of like with what we have with Kenobi right now, it's like a western in Star Wars. And then we have, you know, the Death Troopers, which is like zombies. And now we have, you know, Johan Cross or John Cross or whatever his name is, who is James Bond in Star Wars. It's like, how do you guys feel about them doing these type of stories? Do you enjoy it? Or do you think it's kind of cheesy and wish that they would kind of more focus on Star Wars, Star Wars, Star Wars that feels like um, Star Wars? I kind of like the Star Wars that feels like Star Wars, you know, sort of like the Purge stuff and things like that. Um, just because if I wanted to read about James Bond, I would go read James Bond. I, I think it depends. I mean, okay, take Kenobi. You know, there's a great Western style story, but yet while it feels Western, it also feels very Star Wars. Um, Death Troopers, they did a pretty good job, but I, I like the idea. I like the concept of, but I think it, it's at risk of being too cliche. Uh, you know, if you can keep it grounded in the roots of what you're trying to do, like Tatooine, for example, you know, they when they used the planet to set the Western vibe. Granted, the planet's just a giant desert, but they were able to really dial in on that. Uh, with this one, you know, by sticking with the Imperial side of things, that's working. But I don't know. I don't know if I would want to see a, a John Cross story where he is going up and just randomly fighting rebels. Like, I, I want some depth. I want some espionage, something like that. Uh, but I think the concept, you know, Lucas first started it with the Clone Wars when they were doing the Alfred Hitchcocks, the Godzilla, yeah. uh, the King Kong, and, and and it's a working concept. But I think you you have to ground it and root it in the Star Wars mythos for it to work. Yeah, I agree, and I think a lot of it has to do with how well it's written. You know, if this if these uh, Age of the Empire stories were written by a different author other than John Ostrander. I probably wouldn't have liked it as much, but because he's such a good storyteller 
and he's such a good comic book writer. I actually did enjoy them, even though I had no interest at all in reading them, um, because it was a whole James Bond and Star Wars. I didn't, I wasn't going to give them a chance, but I'm glad that I did because I do find myself enjoying the stories. I like the character, so I would probably continue to read this series, even if I wasn't doing reviews of them. I would probably still read them now that I have, just because of the quality of the writing, but not necessarily that because it has anything to do with, you know, James Bond in Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Now, did either of you guys find it interesting, uh, Boba Fett's face, when he took the helmet off, having the uh, the little Frankenstein-like stitch scar running across the temple down across his nose? Like, I, I don't know. For me, that, that threw me off. Not in a bad way, but it wasn't something I was expecting to see when he took the helmet off. Well, I think it's cool that they... I guess we've gotten to the point now, because we we know, because of the prequels, what he looks like, that they can now take his helmet off. Because I know in the past, you know, obviously, they would never show... Boba Fett's face um, but still even though they can take his helmet off we don't know what type of condition that he's in I think there's been art in the past where they where they had him with his helmet off where like one side of his face was like completely burned yeah and then I know there's been other art with the stitches before this isn't the first time I've seen the stitches and I can't remember what comic that was in it might even have been like tag and bink or something but there was another story that I read where you see him with his helmet off and he has those similar, you know, stitches across his face. So this actually was a look that I had almost expected to see. And I, yeah, I got to say with this one, though, that the end twist was the priceless moment. Like, I, I don't know. It, it felt the most. Oh, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't watch enough Bond to even say it was Bondish, but. It felt like one of those A-team moments, you know, where, like, everything comes together, there's the twist, and you find out who the real mastermind is, and you're like, yeah, it's my boy Cross. You know, I mean, when when uh, the Dooku guy's like, you, you interfered with my plans, and now the boy is dead. And he goes, exactly, according to my plan. Your plan? Yes. I wired the shuttle to explode, knowing Fett would fire on it. Chief Tymon was unaware of all that, of course. Though she thought she was taking the boy to safety. Why? Why would you? The boy himself never expected to live to adulthood. I agreed. So why go through the whole question of succession in a few years when the Imperial Navy is nearby now? You threw the fight with Fett or staged it? Oh no. Fett would have sensed if I held back. No, he's simply better than me. Or he's better than me. I simply had to give it all my all and hope he wouldn't kill me. <laughs> I just, I don't know. I love the fact that as he continues, he's like, He's like, Fed is no fool. If he figures out I was the one who set him up, I will be a dead man. If, on the other hand, he believes me, and then, of course, the guy gets shot through the head, and he's like, nice shot, Fett. I, I just, I don't know. I didn't see that coming, and that twist was one of those where I was like, oh, nice. Uh, you know, I think of those movies where, uh, oh, Ocean's Eleven, perfect one right there. <laughs> Ocean's Eleven, when it gets done, and you see, like, the whole what-you-didn't-know background between uh, – Ocean and Dusty and they're going back and forth and they're telling you or Rusty and they're showing you all the stuff that you didn't know Well, this character was doing that and that and the other thing uh, You know and getting back to that aspect that you asked the themes I was not a fan of scoundrels because I was a huge fan of Ocean's Eleven But that book to me just didn't have the same feel where for others it did but for me that one that one didn't Didn't hit the target so I, I think there is a risk there when you take that kind of preconceived theme and, and apply it to Star Wars but it really comes down to the story that you have needs to be less about that theme, more about Star Wars. Yeah, I completely agree. All right, well, um, unless there was anything else that you guys wanted to specifically talk about from these comics, uh, let's go ahead and wrap it up. 
So on our next episode, we're going to be reviewing the novel Kenobi in capital letters. I felt like it needed an exclamation point. Um, that's a book that a lot of people have been looking forward to and that have, there have been a lot of reviews about. So we're looking forward to really being able to dive into that. And as always, we need to go through our little thing of where you can find us. So on Twitter, you can find us at SWBookworms. Our email address, if you'd like to reach out to us to send us your feedback on the show or maybe your thoughts on a comic or a book, is starwarsbookworms at gmail.com. Also, please go and like us on Facebook. We do a lot of really cool updates and things on there that we don't do on Twitter. And we bring a lot of Star Wars book news and comic book news on there as well. And then also, if you have not gone and rated us or reviewed us on iTunes, please go and do so because that really helps us out a ton. So take a few minutes, go over there, put in some little stars, and I really like this podcast, and then click submit. We would appreciate it. So, Aaron, where can they find you? Um, if you want to follow me on Twitter, my Twitter handle is at AVGoins. And if you want to follow me on Twitter, it's at IceColdPenguin. And what about you, Mark? I am the illogical rogue, too, at Twitter and at Hotmail. You know, <laughs> dive it in. <laughs> That's me. I'm there. Uh, and, and, you know, of course, my uh, home base is... Uh, at SW Beyond Films, that's uh, the podcast I do with Nathan. Uh, I'm kind of on that one the most. I do get on the Star Wars Report Twitter and Facebook as well, but not as much. But you gotta love a good app, you know. I mean, since I've got new apps, I'm kind of a little more involved on the Twitter side of things. So yeah, you can tweet at me. I'll tweet you back. Okay, so since we since we talked about um, some Disney and some Star Wars today, I'm gonna say see you real soon, and may the Force be with you. All right. Weapons are no match for getting blasted by your side, kid. Yeah, see, I like the I like the little talking after the made the force movie. That way, I can fade it out. <laughs>